This is the Defenders Podcast on TV Podcast Industries, and we're talking about Moon Knight Episode 2. Welcome back, fellow Defenders, to episode two of Moon Knight on the Defenders podcast. Yes, I am one of your hosts, John. I'm one of your hosts, Derek. And rounding out this uh, trio of identities, I am Chris. Welcome back, everybody, for the second episode of Moon Knight. I know. Ooh, still this... not still not something I was expecting to ever say out loud. I know. Really good, yeah. though. Yeah, really yeah. good. Really exciting. Hope you've watched it, because we're going to be going spoiler-filled in our discussion about this episode. Lots and lots to talk about this time, I think. Yes. Uh, but before we get into our spoiler-filled review, if you haven't yet subscribed, please pop on over to our website at tvpodcastindustries.com and subscribe to any Conchu or Armit-related podcast catcher of your choice. And remember, we would love to hear our fellow Defenders' thoughts mm-hmm. on this Moon Knight series. Uh, so please send in any feedback, comments, theories, Easter eggs, you name it, uh, to feedback at tvpodcastindustries.com or you can put your thoughts into our spoiler-filled post over on our Facebook group at facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash TV Podcast Industries. Absolutely, and that email address you can also use to send in your answers to the Bar With No Name quiz, the pub that quiz that true. we have every episode. We have one question that goes out on each of the six episodes, and at the end, you could be in with a chance of getting some Moon Knight goodies. Yes, but because also we've hoped we picked up a few new loonies, moonies, and everything in between. If you like what you hear, if you like TV Podcast Industries, and you want to support us, why not head on over to patreon.com slash TV Podcast Industries, where for a single conshu blessed gold coin, <laughs> you can support us and help keep the lights on. But if you also want to just do a one-off donation to help us ferry us across to the Neverworld, uh, and be <laughs> safe in the travels throughout the night, you can go to buymeacoffee.com slash TVPI to help keep our illustrious editor and producer, Derek, in caffeine throughout the wee hours of the night as he podcasts away with Khonshu himself, as he edits the the channels, the, the, the god that is Khonshu, into his recording skills and editing skills to make this and my ramblings sound coherent. Yes, the reason you got the uh, three-minute version of that instead of the 20-minute version of that is because of my editing skills. <laughs> exactly. And God bless them. <laughs> Can't you bless them, I should say. And a whole carafe of coffee. <laughs> oh, there you go. I couldn't remember the carafe term. Yes, thank you so much to everybody that supports us over on Patreon and on Buy Me A Coffee. And this episode of TV Podcast Industries is brought to you by our supporters over on Patreon, including Roberta Orr. Thanks so much, Roberta. Yes, thank you so much, Roberta, for supporting us Mm -hmm. on Patreon. It's really, really appreciated. Yes, thank you so much, Roberta. We cannot do this without you. Mm -hmm. The lights will not stay on and my podcast (laughs) will not be powered. Yeah, absolutely. But let us get into our spoiler-filled discussion of Moon Knight Episode 2. Derek, what are some of the juicy 
episode details. <laughs> well, the executive producers for the show are Kevin Feige, Louis Despacito, Victoria Alonso, Grant Curtis, Brad Winterbaum, Oscar Isaac, Mohamed Diab, and Jeremy Slater. This episode was directed by the team of Justin Benson and Aaron Moorhead. They've directed loads of movies, lots of horror movies, lots of sci-fi. Most recently, they directed Synchronic, uh, which Justin <laughs> wrote. And it starred Anthony Mackie and Jamie Dornan. We watched that during the uh, during the lockdown last year. Really interesting. Um, lower budget sci-fi, but a really interesting sci-fi. really enjoyed it. Yes. Yeah, this is so, a good premise. I de- de- definitely thought it was a really good premise. It mm-hmm. just... I, I don't think it was fully landed, but I, I think it definitely for what they did and probably the budget they did it on, it was fantastic. Yeah, I quite liked it, really. Um, I yeah. thought it was pretty trippy. Um, so, yeah, yeah kind of enjoyed it quite a lot. A better sci-fi than uh, The Matrix uh, Resurrections. Yes, most yes. definitely. <laughs> Anything. And a better, better love story than Twilight. Well, <laughs> and they will return later on this season for another episode of Moon Knight, uh, but they will also be directing Loki Season 2, Episode 1, our first confirmed directors, as far as I remember, for uh, for Loki Season 2. Ooh, staying Ooh. in the Marvel family. Absolutely. Well, since they worked with Anthony Mackie, who is the Falcon, of course, yes. um, they they have been in the Marvel family already, I suppose. So, yeah. 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 No, but I mean, moving on to mm-hmm. directing and so on, so all good. Absolutely. Like, uh, their directing chops are being given a little bit of a, a whirl. Yeah, I think once you get into the system and you're doing a good job, they want to uh, want to keep you on board, don't they? So, uh, so that's always a good sign. Uh, the episode was written by Michael Castellian. Um, he wrote episode two of the Falcon and Winter Soldier. Speaking of uh, someone staying in the in the Marvel Disney family, uh, Michael Castellian staying on here for Moon Knight. Excellent, John. Do you want to tell us what they gave us with your synopsis for Moon Knight episode two? Sure. Waking up alive and unscathed, Stephen Grant returns to work to find the toilets are out of action. The footage of the events of the previous night does not have the jackal that attacked him in the frame, and Stephen is heavily implicated as the culprit of the vandalism at the British Museum. Sacked from his job, Stephen checks out the storage container using the key he found in his apartment to try and learn more about what the hell happened to him and discovers a heap of military equipment, numerous fake passports, and the stolen scarab beetle. In the container, as he tries to process this new discovery, he is once again visited by Mark Spector in a reflection, who explain that he serves Khonshu, the god of the moon, and that he, and ultimately Stephen Grant, are his avatar. Freaked out, he runs out of the locker to be once again pursued by Khonshu. Escaping the storage facility, he collides into Mark Spector's wife, Layla, who recognises Mark but doesn't know Stephen. He brings her back to his apartment where he discovers that she is divorcing Mark Spector and she doesn't buy the identity of Stephen. But with a knock at the door, she is forced to escape the flat as police arrive and arrest Stephen Grant on the grounds of stealing and being the fugitive the mercenary Mark Spector, wanted in connection for the execution of an archaeological excavation team in Egypt. After questioning, the police take Stephen to Arthur Harrow at an inner-city community he is rescued from decline. Arthur explains that he was once conscious avatar, the Fist of Vengeance, but grew weary of the ancient god's justice to evildoers after the fact. He prefers a different sort of justice, and that is why Harrow needs the Scarab Beetle to find his new god, Amit, who he now serves, because she rooted out evil before it ever happened. 
Stephen cares not for the type of justice meted out by Armit, and tries to escape with the scarab beetle, but another jackal is set upon him. With Mark pleading to Stephen to give him control and summon the soup, I mean suit, Stephen calls forth Mr. Knight, a psycho-looking Colonel Sanders, and not Moon Knight, to fight the jackal. As Mr. Knight has trouble dealing with the jackal, he loses the scarab compass, which Arthur recovers. But as the fight gets more dangerous, Stephen gives Mark control, and Moon Knight kebabs the hound. <laughs> Following the fight, the Mark Spectre identity becomes dominant, refusing to let Stephen's identity back in. As both Mark and Konshu have made a deal, and that deal is leading Mark Spectre back to Egypt. Fantastic. Yeah, lots of uh, really different stuff in here. Lots of uh, horror moments in here. Lots of uh, different identities to keep up with. The introduction of uh, Layla, the wife of Mark Spector uh, in the show. Uh, the cops being on the side of Arthur Harrow. So much, so much stuff uh, in, the, in this episode to talk about. Oh, yeah. And... That is a really good point for me to uh, just mention. If anybody was listening to our first episode of Moon Knight, you may have noticed a little bit of odd, some odd moments, let's say, with um, Arthur Harrow. Um, because Arthur Harrow on IMDb, when I wrote all the notes, was named Arthur Darrow and it was changed after the episodes came out. So I've edited it all. You may not hear it, but you may hear some odd edits in there. So my apologies <laughs> for that. It doesn't normally happen. Uh, the guys were, were busy trying to convince me that I was wrong and I was being backed up by documentation from Disney and from IMDb, <laughs> which changed after <laughs> afterwards. So suddenly I was going, who changed those? Well... I think, <laughs> oh, with that I think with that explanation, we should get into our full moon point. Mm -hmm. Mark's storage container. Derek, far away. Well, it's really the opening of the episode, this new investigation that Stephen's getting himself into. Um, we kind of see him trying to investigate or trying to almost show off what happened, trying to see if somebody else believes him. He goes back to his job and talks to the security guard, tries to get him to show the cameras and what happened and nothing was caught on camera other than a very uh, different-looking Stephen, which is actually Mark Spector staring at the camera. Yeah, That's that the was only great. evidence That's that, this, that anything <laughs> happened. Exactly. Um, but Stephen is being blamed for trashing the toilets at his workplace <laughs> and gets fired for it in a really fun, I thought, really fun scene where it's kind of being uh, guided down the path of maybe you need to get some help. These guys here will be able to help. Do you have any um, property of the museum on you and Stephen, Stephen kind of goes, no, I wouldn't steal anything, mate. And he's like, no, no, I mean your badge. It's like, hand over your, your badge and your gun, you're out. Um, so, uh, poor HR, it never gets a good rap, really, Just, does it? In, uh, in TV or films, it's always this kind of, you need help. Uh, we've worked with these people before. Right, you're fired. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> leave, leave your stuff behind. Leave your, leave your pass and leave your, uh, leave your badge behind. But it does give Stephen the ability to have some free time to go and, uh, and search up what uh, that storage container key could possibly lead to. Um, I like that he's going through uh, every single storage container place all across the city of London trying to find this place and walks in and the guy instantly recognizes him. Never forget a face, me. Never forget a face. Um, but you're Mark Spector. I know exactly what container unit I need to take you to. Um, really fun little moment with uh, with the storage container owner yeah. there and now we have much more details of who mark specter is and 
more importantly, who Khonshu is. Yeah, no, no. And just before we do, we saw a great piece of corroborating evidence on what we discussed last episode, which was how Mark holds him. He looks exactly like Stephen, mm-hmm. but he holds himself almost like a foot taller yeah. just by standing and straightening, whereas Stephen is very kind of like just kind of shrunk on himself and mm-hmm. small. Yeah. Um, so when you see that the, the CCTV of Mark walking away looking – he looks nothing like <laughs> Stephen, and it's, it's now same person, exact same. It is still the beautiful man that is Oscar Isaac, uh-huh. but he does look different. He does carry himself different. So I just thought it was really nice that we literally called it out last. And going, he looks so different, in even in the bathroom mirror. Mm-hmm. And when you see him on the CCTV, you're like, oh yeah, he looks different. He yeah. does completely. Um, and then we get to know that, like, like you said, we, we see his history in this locker. Mm-hmm. We get the rummaging and you can see he's a military man of a mercenary. We do find out, but a military man in the everything has its place. It's all neatly folded. His bed, like very much an army bed, collapsible. You've got the, the go bag with his passports and his bundles of multiple different currencies mm-hmm. and his guns. And I do love that scene picks it up by the butt, the, 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 the basically the grip with his two fingers and like, ooh, 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 yeah, ooh, exactly. ooh, don't touch this. <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, you go, ooh, ooh, and then just stick it in your back pocket. Don't just go, like, can I, no, leave this over here. <laughs> well, remember, guns aren't legal in the UK. So, uh, it's pretty likely that this version, Stephen Grant is going, hang on a second. I'll be, I will be arrested immediately if I walk out of here, carry it's a true. handgun. Well, yeah. that's it, isn't <laughs> he's it? scared it's, of what's the difference. Uh, it's kind of interesting that he's kind of, it's, it's like it smells or yeah. it, it's repellent and to put it down. Yeah. Um, and I kind of thought with this scene, I kind of thought what was going to happen was we get a lockbox. You know, that's kind of the traditional thing yeah. where you'd go and find this lockbox that has, you know, the same kind of things in it, a passport and uh, a couple of passports and, and loads of money. Uh, having an entire room with a bed where he can effectively tell Stephen to go and sleep so he can take over his body is such a cool change, something I wasn't expecting. Yeah, yeah. It, it was really good. And the the other thing is he sees and they fi- he finds the scarab beetle as well, which yes. comes to life in, in this moment and hovers. <sighs> so so a really cool bit of ancient Egyptian technology. Absolutely. Uh, the ability to hover. Um, and uh, like Stephen, you know, calls it out. It, it, it's a compass, like straight mm-hmm. from the off. So um, I thought that was pretty good. His, you know, Egyptology... Uh, readings and training sort of coming in uh, to to that as well. But again, we get that lovely reflection with uh, Mark Spector coming in on this conversation uh, and explaining, as you say, a bit more about who he is, what mm-hmm. he is, that he serves this ancient Egyptian moon god that is Khonshu and Mark is effectively his avatar uh, who is, you know, has given the task of protecting the vulnerable mm-hmm. um, and to serve justice on those people that will do harm to them. So yes. I, I thought this was really good. And again, just a nice little bit of comedy from Stephen with like, oh my God, I eat one steak and I go bonkers. <laughs> um, so again, just ha- keeping that going. Yeah. I, I really like that they kept that dynamic in, in this episode. And it, Stephen as well, in a sense, didn't lose his 
just his whole characterization of mm-hmm. yeah. being that kind of person wants learning the truth and effectively it carries on with him you know screaming and running out of this um, building mm-hmm. uh, being chased by Conshu I mean just him screaming but nothing coming out uh, it was just really really funny and yeah. you, you can imagine like the run I remember from the last episode it's kind of the the little legs, little strides, really, really fast. Yeah. And it's to your point, Chris. Like you can, you can imagine that that Stephen, but that Marx has long strides when he runs. Military I, yes. like yeah. marathon running. Exactly. That, that escape looked so good. Yeah. It was one that I was not like. We had seen some snippets of it in trailers before, and I was like, I knew it was coming. Once he was in the storage, I was like, he's going to end up running from something. I thought it was going to be Anubis or one of the the dog, the 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 the, the dog like jackals. But seeing it was conscious, it was interesting. It played on my expectation that it was going to be just a standard run out final girl horror movie like aspect, mm-hmm. but instead. He runs straight into the back of Conchu. Like, and I was like, <laughs> yeah. that's fun. Well yeah. done on that. Like, it wasn't just going to slowly catch up with him. Exactly. No, no, no. He disappeared and he's around the corner waiting. Yeah. That may, if, yeah. if you're a, like a god who has the ability to just pop in and out, yeah, you just pop in before the person. It's okay. Fine. I just yeah. thought he was, because all the containers, it was like a maze. So he just went round in circles. So even that's Conchu like, got lost, is what you mean? <laughs> Stephen. Stephen got so, lost, so, definitely. Yeah, so but the, the fact just that he just was screaming, running round. Yeah. And had no idea which way he was going. And Conchu really had been in the same place. No, definitely Conchu. Well, I don't think Conchu was in the same place. I think Conchu did move because we saw him getting closer and then further away as well, which makes it even more um, horror-like. You know, you see see Conchu disappearing and reappearing in different places. But yeah, the fun part of it is that Stephen runs behind him. (laughs) So he's he's standing right there. uh, And it's so good that they, like, just using the lightings. It's funny, like, in the... You know, this as the the guy is leading Stephen to the container, mm-hmm. and just the lights were going on one at a time, and the other going off. It was like that must be so annoying if you're walking. <laughs> um, and then, but it just was used to great effect. Yeah, oh, and absolutely. it was so loud as well. <laughs> like, yeah. yeah, you need hearing protection. And we have seen that a little bit in in episode one. We've we've seen, we guess, Mark Spector's. Uh, identity messing with the lighting around yeah. Stephen. So in in this scene here, it is Conchu, I think, or that that identity messing with the lighting that's in there to, to yeah. set Stephen on edge and possibly yeah. get him back into the room. So uh, just one one other thing, just to put a big underline under the avatar of Conchu here. We mentioned at the end of the episode in our notes uh, of the last episode the big challenge. What what ended. Abbott's time on Earth was her avatar taking her out effectively. And here we here we now finally find out that Mark Spector is the avatar of Conchu, and yeah. so is Stephen Grant. So there's a connection now between what the Egyptian gods have and their their hands on Earth or their fists on Earth that they are their avatars. So I uh, just wanted to majorly underline that point that's in there. So we'll come back to it a little bit uh, in a later point when we talk about yeah. Arthur again. Yeah, and it's interesting as well. We It should be noted, we, we've talked to and we played with gods before in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Oh, yeah. Thor is a god. Loki yeah. are gods. Yeah. But they're 
kind they are what I'm assuming they they are going to be placed very differently and they're going to be kind of made differently than this then so I it would be interesting to see how they play this out because the the Asgardians they're they're gods but they're like aliens almost yeah where I think this is closer to what we expect like a god to be and I think that they'll definitely go into deeper mythology I'm assuming throughout the rest of the season mm-hmm. um and they probably explain it but I don't think it's going to be the Egyptian gods reside in uh, Alpha Prime which is a planet <laughs> like Asgard oh, 5 mile, 500 light years away kind yeah, of thing I hope not <laughs> yeah I think it's more like it is we're getting into the very much the supernatural mystical element mm-hmm. of the MCU. Yeah, absolutely. And it's also nice that they're able to drip feed the mythology much easier than they can than they could back when they introduced Thor and the Asgardians. Yeah. Uh, Thor 1 was so full of explanations about what is science, what is magic and what are the Asgardians, you know, yeah. the uh, the Captain America one of uh, there's only one god and doesn't look like look like Thor you know they've been constantly kind of battling how to deal with the Asgardians because they haven't had any ability other than to tell a, sh- a small story of it in their movies whereas now mm. with Moon Knight we can get some deep mythology here drip fed out in an exciting show as well so yeah. uh, I think they're doing a great job so far yeah I, yeah. I wonder how th- these gods link in with the Eternals um, and mm. the planet destroyers that are the celestials celestials. yeah 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 if if there's any like there at all i guess not but it's just it's interesting having as guardians egyptian gods Mm -hmm. and of course then the the celestials and that concept well yeah um as well and remember there was a quite a lot of pressure on the eternals to explain why such powerful beings stepped away when the world was under attack or the universe was under attack from Thanos, why weren't they involved in that? So will we get some some kind of similar explanation as to why Kanchu, a person that proclaims to be there to take care of the innocents and uh, and stop people from hurting them, why he wasn't involved in in uh, in the snapping, why he wasn't involved in the attack from Thanos? Will we get an explanation of that as the series goes on? I wonder. Potentially, I will quickly call out though, and we'll talk about it. They're fine. Well, 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 the scene we're going to talk about, we do see the GRC which was, we saw originally being a huge big point in uh, Falcon the Winter Soldier, Captain America and Winter Soldier, um, in that whole kind of series. Mm-hmm. So we do know that this is taking place after, the, like, this is all after. Like, yeah. because I had a question in my head up until I saw that, mm-hmm. where it was like, oh, okay, well, maybe this is all going to be basically before the snap and then the, the like the, some of the episodes later will be here's what happened after yeah um well that's, but that's not uh, the case so we know know that this is taking place after the snap after the, the the global repatriation council have essentially been enacted and stuff so mm-hmm. this is post post loki post winter soldier post one division it's all after that time mm. that will from what we can tell on that just based by well, that one small piece. I'm like, yeah. okay, that is what that is. It's certainly after the snap and certainly around the same time as Falcon yes. Winter Soldier. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, definitely. And because I, I had been wondering about where that was because there's been no direct reference to the the snap mm-hmm. um, at all. You know, not certainly um, in, in terms of how we saw that in Hawkeye with yeah. um, 
with Elena. Um, and so I thought that was kind of interesting. I was even then uh, just thinking around because we have the police and they say that Mark Spector, you know, disappeared that they would be linking it, even if it didn't happen like that, that they would link it to the snap potentially. Yeah. 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 Potentially. Yeah. That'd be really interesting. Um, is that enough on the storage container? I think so. I think so. Let's, let's pack that away and move into our second point. Yes. Let's get on to our half moon point. Mm-hmm. We're going to talk about Layla. I know you've been wanting to sing her name since you heard or since you saw her name come up on the phone Layla, last episode. Da, da, da. I think Chris was trying to do Eric Clapton's I think uh, so. Layla there. Um, yeah. And but, certainly it didn't sound anything yeah. like it. That's greatest. again, I do, it's the, my skill that <laughs> so we don't get copyright strikes. One of the greatest ever. guitarists of all time boiled down to an incomprehensible <laughs> noise. <laughs> Thanks, Chris. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen. But Chris, as you took us away to a beautiful place with that rendition of Layla, um, take us away to a beautiful place that is somewhere in central Greater London, um, and the 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 introduction of Layla in the flesh. Yeah, let's do it. Like so, straight out of the the center, we we see, uh, or straight after the the storage facility, we see Stephen run out and essentially meet Leia and get on the bike, and we get the 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 essential kind of. He's holding her weird. She keeps calling him Mark. She's asking all these questions. Mm-hmm. He's responding. Uh, she knows so much about him. I.e., like, why do you have that stupid accent? Where have you been? I've been trying to call you. Blah, blah, blah. Well, first of all, it sets up this weird dynamic that it is basically she thinks he is Mark and she thinks he is, like, it's an act. It's a, it's a cover yeah. for some kind. So you're starting to go, well, wait, is he mercenary? Is he secret agent? Is he, like, what's going on? And you get all that as it brings you back to Stephen's home mm-hmm. in London. Yeah. And it starts to become even further confusing because mm-hmm. you then have Mark from a little tiny mirror in the background telling Stephen not to say anything. Mm-hmm. Don't do this. Don't give her information. You don't know what you're doing. You, you're Basically, it's like Mark is that older brother giving out to the younger child, going, "Stop it! You you don't know what you're doing. Just let the the adults play here. Let the adults do this. You, you're 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 the stupid little kid. Stop it!" <laughs> but he also says to him, and the reason why Stephen stops is because he says to him, "If Layla if Layla knows about this, she will be killed." Yeah. Um, and what I do like, even though they are completely different identities, Stephen and, and Mark, and, and Stephen has not had this connection with Layla before. You could tell he's very quickly falling for her. Yeah. yeah. This is the type of person that Stephen would fall for. He finds out that Layla's married to Mark Spector. That's his wife. It's not just somebody that he's been ignoring or somebody that he's uh, he kind of knew. This is Mark Spector's wife, and she's there to serve divorce papers, which Mark asked for. And Stephen's response to it is, I'd never divorce someone like you. I'd never do mm. that. You know? And... What I love the reactions that are going on in the mirror from Mark Spector. He feels like he's getting the slap down from Stephen. Um, he's kind of going, you don't understand in, to Stephen. You don't understand anything about the situation. But he's realizing that 
you know, maybe the way that he left it with Layla when he when he said to her, we need to get a divorce because I can't put you in danger anymore. Maybe that was the wrong choice. And Stephen's adding a new light to that situation because he's looking at this woman that he would be in love with and not understanding why Mark it would would leave her behind. Well, that's yeah. it, because he, you know, he, he has trouble getting the woman um, yeah. and going on a date. And it, it's all those feelings being brought up and then hearing Mark. And as you say, there's this weird, crazy situation uh, between the two of them. Um, it, it's like part of Mark that he would like to have. Yeah. Um, and yeah. that's that was kind of really really good and there's some very quick indicators to Layla that that Stephen is really different you know he's able to quote poetry that she loves yes. yeah which Mark clearly wouldn't have had an interest in and she's kind of wondering why is why is this the situation when he's really interested in Egyptology which is something that clearly Mark had no interest in yeah uh, and Layla does Layla's the one that is interested in Egyptology she yeah. knows most of the things that Stephen is talking about but there is it, it you can tell from Layla, that these are conversations she would never have had at market. She's starting to understand this is a different identity. Yeah, and they have the person. same uh, favorite book. Him and Layla, yes. Yes. Yeah. So it, it was really nice. I, I love mm. that connections that were sort of permeating in from the, I guess, the whole ultimately of the different facets of the different identities. Mm -hmm. I, I'm wondering if. Does Stephen like these things because unconsciously Stephen knows that Layla likes this stuff? That is why Stephen likes it. Because Stephen potentially was there before. So if Stephen was there before uh, or was more controlled or the controller, would that be because and when Stephen, Stephen is interested in it and likes this poetry and all this because of Layla? He just doesn't know it. It might be a remnant yeah, of the a memory or something. Yeah, potentially that yeah. might that might be something. It's, it, because it's a very specific French poet that that yeah. uh, he's able to recite, and she's saying that's my favorite French poet. Gets a bit of a smile on her face, going, "Has he made all this up, connecting it to me?" But realizing quite quickly, this isn't the same person she's speaking yeah, to. Yeah, but you know, she's also trying to convince him. You know, she says that Mark and herself, you know, fought side by side, and. Um, and Stephen's there with no recollection of that. Mm -hmm. So there is this huge gulf in experiences that Stephen knows yeah. um, with what Layla has. So there is that between the two of them. And, and um, you know, in this moment, that gets rudely interrupted with the knock on the door and the arrival of um, the police. Yeah. And... And one quick thing that comes out in the conversation, just because I was asking about it last week, about who Stephen was talking to on the phone, um, he mentions again that he was talking to his mother. Yeah. And Layla's response to it was, oh, you've mended your relationship That's with true. her. That's true, yeah. So she seems really surprised that he would be talking to his mother. So I'm still, still not answered, but she seems really surprised that at least Mark would be talking to his mother. So clearly Mark didn't have the relationship with his mother but maybe Stephen does have that relationship with his mother. Yeah, actually, yeah, exactly. Or there is no mother, and see, Stephen is just talking to a voicemail. That yeah, that yeah. guy was Mark saying last week. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, um, but there is also then you know another 
uh, wrinkle. Wrinkle, yeah, <laughs> exactly. Another wrinkle here. Another person with the arrival of the police mm -hmm. and the arrest of, of Stephen here, which they identify as Mark, the yep. fugitive, um, a mercenary. And we get a bit more backstory to, to understand, um, Dark Mark, uh, here, where it is, um, that, He's on the run uh, after shooting and executing, effectively, an Egyptian uh, excavation team at, at a dig in Egypt, uh, all shot in the back of the head, mm -hmm. kneeled on the ground. So, like, really brutal and yep. extreme form of execution here to, effectively, archaeologists um, working uh, in, in the field. Mm -hmm. So... Again, this is kind of another new little dimension that we're getting here um, around um, Mark, yeah. at, at least in terms of the um, the police investigation here. Mm. Yeah, agreed. And the investigation doesn't go very far. No. They basically <laughs> uh, use all this information to get Stephen into the car and uh, take him Back to Arthur Harrow. Yeah, I guess yeah. I guess they've got scales somewhere on their forearm. They do. We we yeah. see the the Ir the bad Irish accent cop, um, <laughs> basically have the he when he just when they arrive at Harrow's uh, place of refuge, I don't know campus. <laughs> Let's call it the cult campus. Mm -hmm. Um, he does the, 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 you can see his wrist or his forearm. Okay, you see the scale. DC Fitzgerald, yes. DC Fitzgerald, yes. yes. But anyway, outside of bad Irish accents, I would just going forward as Stephen, I'm like, show me your arms. Anyone he meets yep. new, just show me your arms. <laughs> yep, just want to see, see the inside of your forearms. There you go. Oh, you're good. Oh, you got scale tattoos. Goodbye. Yeah, I, just like, I feel <laughs> like you've probably learned this lesson uh, after yeah. after this time. Yeah. But yeah, taking him to, to Harrow's um, commune or utopia, as, as Harrow yeah. says. He's, he says this is a place that uh, used to be one of the worst places in London. But by his guidance and with his help and with Ames, um, he's been able to clean it up and make it a sort of utopia for all the people that live here. Yeah, it's um, a rescued or recovered inner city district. Yeah, in or or the financial district in London. Well, it could be right next <laughs> to it. To be honest. <laughs> but we kind of know from how Arthur, how Arthur deals with his followers that most likely what he's actually done is judged all the people that he wants to get rid of from the area and said, "Oh, I'm really sorry." God, Ahmed says you you don't survive, but the rest of us will. So no. uh, potentially he's done that uh, to a lot of people within that community. Exactly, but well. it's a district full of believers to uh, Arthur Harrow's yeah. cause and to Armit's uh, cause. And this is again just really I just loved how they introduced it because that Arthur was. Or used to be, um, Conchu's avatar. A massive, massive revelation. The former fist of vengeance yes. for Conchu is what he yeah. was and says that's now Mark. Um, so again, all of this playing around with avatars, <laughs> all these playing around with who the avatar of which god is. And now he's the avatar for Amos. Mark's now the avatar for Khonshu and he was formerly the avatar for Khonshu. That's yeah. a, that's a really interesting wrinkle, wrinkle, something that I was not expecting from the show no, at all, that Arthur would have a connection with Khonshu. It makes his version of the antagonist in the show so much more interesting. And he even kind of calls out that 
he knows everything about Conchu. Yeah. He knows all about him. So, so good. That so scene. again, is this the unreliable narrator? Again, is this is Conchu a good guy guiding Mark and Stephen to do good things? Or like Arthur says, is he the wrong person to follow? Is he giving bad guidance to his followers? Well, we do learn at the end of this episode, like there, there, there is threats being made by Conchu. I, I am leaning towards. Harrow is a correct, like, I, it, 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 Kanju's not a good god. He's not a good person hmm. or a good deity. There's the word I was looking for. Um, because he's threatening Layla on this. So by the end of, the, you, you do believe, yeah, or I be- believed from that point, it was like, oh yeah, unreliable narrator. This is what we're like, we're getting one side of the story. Very cool that it is. A twist on the Black Panther, uh, Iron Man 1, standard Marvel origin kind of film where it's, okay, well, we're going to give you two people with the same power sets, both of them being avatars and kind of in this. So I thought it was a nice twist. Well, actually, well, one was the other, one was the, one is the upgraded version of the other. Mm. Essentially, one is, was taking the other position yeah. and then left. So it's it's going to be interesting to see how they play it. I yeah. really, like, does it the fact that Harrow now knows everything about country means he knows all the the, the skills that uh, give what that country gives to Spectre? Mm-hmm. Well, that's it. I mean, I think like Conchu. I don't know whether he's good or bad, but he's made a deal, hasn't he, with, with Mark Spector, and the leverage is Layla. That, so mm. in a sense, for Conchu and being a deity and a god, Layla is the cash on the table, effectively, oh, yeah. in, in the deal that is being made by Mark, who ultimately has accepted it, I would say. Yeah. And, but it's a weird deal, but, isn't it? It's if you don't do what I do, I'll just jump over to her and she'll be my avatar. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But it, it's what being the avatar mm-hmm. means. And I think that's the thing that, um, is, is hinted at with, with Arthur Harrow, because I love the fact that we have Conchu telling Stephen to kill him, crush his windpipe, you know, right mm-hmm. there and then. Yeah. Uh, and you have Arthur saying, well, is he saying this now? And, um, you know, th- there's kind of a slight, I'm tired of Conchu. Um, he, he was a one trick pony. It- it's almost the thing, you know, what he got me to do how he got me to do it, why I he got me to do it, and ultimately what difference it made mm-hmm. just ended off. The rose ran out for Arthur Harrow, and he wanted something different. I really enjoyed um, just him making the distinction that he was the fist of vengeance for Konshu, and he dealt out justice to those that had already done something bad and mm. his justification, his rationale for wanting something different is that why do that when you can stamp it out in one go and exactly. make a real difference, yeah. you know, as he's waving his arms around this inner city community and mm-hmm. um, when you can effectively uh, root out the evil before it's happened. Mm-hmm. So like we were saying about, 
the minority report effectively the the future police and um mm-hmm. it i just really enjoyed all this but certainly just how even hawk was responding even though he couldn't hear him just knew what conchu would be saying Absolutely. which so it, it, the, there's a huge element of the avatar stuff that yeah you're just wondering here um with arthur harrow mm-hmm yeah. What he means by being conscious avatar, you know, is it the same, exactly the same as what Mark Spector is with Moon Knight? Mm. Or is it something slightly subtly different? Because knowing what's happened to Armit through the hands of their own avatar, mm-hmm. um, that she was effectively locked away and, and sealed up. Um, by her avatar, destroyed, taken out by her avatar. So avatars have a lot of power here then. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you're wondering why he's no longer conscious avatar well, exactly. and why he didn't just possibly do the same as what happened to Armis. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, jumping slightly back to your point about where he's like talking about the windpipe and crushing, I'm getting still, I was getting huge Venom vibes. From this, oh yeah, where I you, can see that. that. Yeah. yeah, you can see it, like that kind of like overly aggressive, violence first kind of crazy person that no, like <laughs> that kind of makes you you don't see anything. So it was interesting because yeah. it is like in Venom you had the symbiote. Oh my God, it's a symbiote. That's how much the the, the marketing for the, the marketing got in my head, fellow mm-hmm. MCU fans. The symbiote, <laughs> no, the symbiote. Uh it's interesting to see, like, it, it's that same kind of, the symbiote kind of was just there, kind of always talking, Venom mm-hmm. was kind of like, eat him, like, eat his brain, blah, 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 and everyone's like, what's he saying? Yeah. It's that same kind of thing when you have so- something that's invisible talking directly to the character in their head, mm-hmm. and it is slightly more, you have that aggressive, the good good cop, bad cop, and other cop in this situation, because there's three of them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, it's just interesting. I got distinct vibes, and definitely by the end of this episode, you see that additional, those additional vibes. Yeah, I, I think as well. It's it's really this whole scene played out where Arthur's speaking with with Stephen. Yeah, and there's almost an element of sympathy. I think for not all that you, you get the sense that Arthur deep down has some kind of good reason for doing what he's doing. I'm not saying by the end of it, that's what I'm thinking, but his motivation is about creating a better world. He's done something good, even though there's horrible stuff that he's had to do to to create that. And that's where the philosophical difference is coming in when, when Stephen quite, you know, quite abruptly says, but I just don't buy into that. You know, that's like killing a baby before, yeah. um, it, 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 it's the born. baby Hitler conundrum. Exactly. If you had time travel, would you go back and kill baby Hitler? So, yeah. and exactly, that is exactly the conundrum. And yeah. I really liked how Arthur was selling, he was marketing himself mm-hmm. along this and just gradually, because also his ultimate aim was to get the scarab beetle back off Stephen. And you see all the people in that community gradually closing yeah. in before Layla arrives to um, sort of tell him to summon the suit. And 
it's I just liked how it built in that way. Yeah, it was really, really good. It I'd... felt like, as you say, this utopia, you know, this this lovely commune that was mm-hmm. kind of fairly free. And in the end, you realize that it is acolytes as they start to sort of move in on Stephen to get what their master, in this case, Arthur, wants. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. You know, not that I had any doubt about why Ethan Hawke would make a good character within this universe, but this episode totally cemented yeah. why he's the right person for yeah, it. Definitely. He is absolutely following that path of a cult leader where he has totally convinced himself this is the right way to go. And Stephen cuts it instantly. As you say, Stephen goes, but where's the point that this starts at? You could just kill a baby and go, well, they're going to commit some evil 20 years in the yeah. future. So. Your your point is meaningless. Your point makes no sense to him. But what we've seen in the first episode and in this episode is Arthur not only has this belief, which he's telling other people is what he's doing. He's also insulating himself from the consequences completely. The old woman in the first episode that he took out is just carried away while he talks to other people. And something is done with the body, but he's not involved in that. That's yeah. other people who are taking care of it. So like the proper David Koresh-like cult leader, yeah. he's coming down off the mount to tell his people what they should be doing and how they should be living out when actually his plan is anybody who follows him will be able to pass on to the the proper afterlife or the better world because Amos will have stripped the world of the choice of evil evil by killing everybody yeah. evil and everybody who doesn't follow him and he's just stepping back and walking away and letting that just take care of itself basically but, um, yeah uh, and that's he, the thing he's it's pretty just, evil but he sells he, it so he, well he is but it's just to be clear like he's become evil because mm-hmm. he used to be the fist of vengeance for Konshu. so Unless there's been huge changes in that in the Moon Knight department, you know, this role has happened, and he, so he wanted to change. So what I'm saying is, over time, he's become corrupted through how you have to root out evil. And I'm saying that on the proviso that until I guess that backstory of Arthur and Conchu's relationship. Mm-hmm becomes fully visible yeah. um to to the audience and i don't think it's probably going to be that great given that Konshu <laughs> wants to you know crush his windpipe or yeah. gets get steven to crush his windpipe i'm just saying that there's a lot of time that's happened and there's there's something about the the essence of wanting to create a better a better world that I think Arthur Harrow may have started out as, but it's been corrupted to this purity of the religion of Armit as the god, as the deity that you worship and what she stands for. Yeah. It puts him in that pantheon of really good Marvel villains. Exactly. Like, you know, people did agree with the idea that Thanos had half the universe and resources stretch further. And then other people went to, why didn't he just snip, snap his fingers and give double the resources in the universe? Because he could have done that. But no, that is his concept. People agreed with Killmonger and his concept of why why don't we arm the people that have been downtrodden for centuries yeah. and then turn on the oppressors? And then other people went, yeah, but that would just be a war from the other side and you'd be armed. So it would just be another version of the same thing that's always been happening. So there there are always great villains, all with great concepts. 
and, and, I, and I think Arthur Harrow is being added to it. But I will just point out, we did get a little bit of Mark Spector's story in this episode from those police officers who said he is a mercenary that's being chased down for executing archaeologists in Egypt. That's a Mark Spector story, not an Avatar of Khonshu no, story. Absolutely. So when we when we know more about Mark Spector, we don't know anything about Mark or Stephen, really, before what's been told to us in this show. So maybe they aren't the nicest of people in the world and maybe they weren't picked to be the Avatar of Khonshu because they're good people. Maybe they were picked because of their violence streak. We see that in yeah. Mark later on well, in the episode. that's true, exactly. And it is about justice and vengeance. And yeah. so... He certainly needs to be handy with a pointy crescent moon. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, but I do quickly want to come back to Layla because this was really her point, but it did lead into Arthur, of course. But she does come in to save Steve Grant here, and I love that she is really able to handle herself. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Even though she's telling Steve to suit up, get the soup. Uh, I don't know what you're saying. Um, really fun moment for him, but she has to protect him and is easily able to do it, is yeah. easily able to get him out of, the, out of the situation, get him out of there, which I thought was great for her character to to show her how dynamic she is and the kind of things we'll see from her as the season goes on. She's not yeah. just someone that came in to serve divorce papers. She's someone that was clearly a partner of some sort uh, in Mark's exploits in the past. Yeah, 100%. I'm really looking forward to the, the dis- dissembled, disassembled uh, making of documentary for Moon Knight mm-hmm, yeah. uh, because we'll get an Ethan Hawke, I'm assuming we'll get an Ethan Hawke breakdown of how he built the character, like how he looked at other cult leaders and what they did and how yeah. he took that on, which is going to be cool to see how he did that. Mm-hmm. But also, the stunt woman, I'm I, I'm wondering if it's the same stunt woman from Captain America and the Winter Soldier, uh, or sorry, Falcon and the Winter Soldier, because it looks like the same stunt actress uh, who played the part of Carly in Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Okay. Uh, because of the, the same curly hair and thing. Of course, there could be wigs, but it looked <laughs> almost beat for beat. Right. And I was like, yeah, it makes sense. They're going to continue using some of those teams. And I'm here for it because these women who can look after themselves and can go toe to toe with, um, the big, she basically throws a guy off a fourth, a, a third story balcony bit, mm-hmm. going yeah. straight onto a floor and through some scaffolding. I was like, she's handy with her fists, all right. Yeah, yeah no, 100%. It but that is. does lead us then into that locked room where they, they get, they lock themselves in. And that's kind of, uh, if we're okay, we'll move on to our final point. Yes. Let us get into our total eclipse, our third point. Um, it is Mr. Knight and Moon Knight, uh, (laughs) where we get the fantastic arrival of Stephen actually summoning the suit Mm -hmm. to get his psycho Colonel Sanders look of the white suit of Mr. Knight rather than the traditional conchy robes of Moon Knight. Mm. Um, And Stephen kind of feeling fully empowered by this after... Uh, you have Arthur summoning, uh, which was quite good. We actually saw how uh, he used his his walking cane to summon the the jackal from yes, the depths, cool. from the hell um, of of the of I guess the Egyptian spiritual world um, yeah. up into uh, central London, I guess, and um, he's empowered by this to fight off uh, the the jackal, and mm-hmm. then. 
doesn't quite go to plan really as <laughs> you know the jackal is a, a bit more of a sort of you know it's it's a bit harder to to take on than he thought. Well, yes, but he is fully um, powered. That the, yeah. the the force that Konshu has talked about about protecting, um, that you can see this here because he has power. He's powered up for well, sure. Well, exactly, and, and you know we didn't really mention it in episode one that moment when. Stephen wakes up in the Alps in uh, in Germany, and his his uh, chin is dislocated in that moment. He puts it back in. You yeah. can hear you can hear the crack as he puts it back into place. But we now know in this episode, looking back on it, you can now see this was part of the powers of Kanchu. These are the things that Kanchu does. He's able to withstand blows that normally he couldn't take. He's able to throw punches that normally he couldn't throw. He's able. He has powers that are given to him by Kanshu and in this persona now of Mr. Knight he's able to use them and able to fight yeah. but he has no training he's not like Mark Spector he's not a mercenary that would have gone through the army and have army training and then those abilities are enhanced by the powers given to him by Kanshu he's Stephen Grant, Grant the <laughs> mighty the the uh, minor shop assistant um you know that that's not something that he's going to be able to jump into just cuz he's given superpowers so we get a little bit of a um a learning curve for him. Definitely. Here. It's a gift shopist. I it think. is a yes. gift shopist, yes. And can we just say that hopefully he now starts to work on his superhero landings? Because that is perhaps the funniest <laughs> superhero landing in the history of MCU. It is the best one. Because he just goes, he transforms into Mr. Knight. He lands at the superhero landing yeah. and then just falls over <laughs> to his side. And I'm like, that. I was like, oh, they just did this. I like that. That was one where I'm like, okay, you you did something I completely... I was expecting a superhero landing, standing up, shaking it off and walking yeah. away. But just the... Uh, and <laughs> falls. I was like, mwah, well, chef's kiss on yeah. The minute that Yulina called that out in Black Widow is the moment that they could never do a traditional superhero landing yeah. again in the MCU. You know, that it was originally criticized back in, in uh, Deadpool, the idea that everybody has a superhero landing. Now that they've brought it into the MCU, this idea that everybody does them, um, they will never do a traditional one again. I'm, I'm certain of it. So yeah. this one, having a bit of humor attached to it for uh, for Stephen's first appearance as Mr. Knight. Uh, Mr. Knight, for non-comic book fans, is a very iconic look from the comic books. Uh, it's only been around for about uh, about 15 years of the history of, uh, of Moon Knight, maybe 20, because as, 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 the older I get, the, the shorter time seems to be. Yeah. It, it's about 15 or 20 years that he's, that uh, Mr. Knight's been around. Um, not the entire history of the comic book run, effectively. So it's yeah. a very iconic one. I'm sure people have seen posters of it or people have seen comic book covers of Mr. Knight. So great to have this other version of the Avatar in the show alongside Moon Knight, yeah. who was introduced in episode and one. And it's, it's from the Ella Shelby uh, run mm -hmm. of of Moon Knight. That's where he he was explored. I think he was introduced yeah. prior to that run. And then uh, Declan Shelby uh, is the one that expanded on yes. the mythos, I suppose, of, of Mr. Knight. But, uh, but Mr. Knight's a really cool uh, introduction into the show. Again, very different with the persona of Stephen Grant behind him than I was expecting <laughs> when I when I've read Mister Knight in the past. He's not like Stephen Grant, so uh, I like this. Uh, yeah, I, I really liked as well just the realization. You know, Stephen's there going, you know, I can handle this. I've got the suit now. Yeah. Um, and then the realization as you know that there's the the big fight around the double decker bus, 
and then it's being chased across the rooftops by this jackal and mm-hmm. the the conversation between Stephen and Mark uh, as Stephen as Mr Knight is being chased across the roofs because Stephen is realizing he's just running away from it even yeah. though he's got the suit and needs <laughs> yeah. he needs Mark to you know bring his skills to this and i just loved the change which mm-hmm. is as the jackal is effectively leaping at him uh, off off the roof yep. and it changes to moon knight and he twists in the air moon knight twists in the air and and just that the the whole sort of frame of oh, yeah. moon knight and the moon with mm-hmm. the skewered hound was yep. just brilliant. Loved it. Yep. Loved it. Such a cool fight. Really, really cool. I kind of like that I started out with the invisible jackal as well, so other people couldn't see yeah. the jackal. Yeah. And then eventually changes into this uh, this dead jackal hanging over. Well, that's it. There's a, there's a couple cool. there, isn't there? And they're kind of like, oh, look at the, the, the drunk debonair dressed up in yep. a suit. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I thought that was really good. Yep. I, I really enjoyed this fight on all aspects because it did throughout the whole aspect of it, from Mr. Knight to the Moon Knight to the death to the, 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 the de-suiting, you see all the different levels of powers on within Mark Spector as Moon Knight, the, the Avatar of Khonshu. Like, you see the enhanced strength mm-hmm. where you see Mr. Knight grab a bumper and squeeze it and then rip it off and then use it as, like, a batter. Yeah. Kind of a big baseball bat. Um, yeah. And then you see, like, the... we were, You just talked about the healing, but you do see that he gets knocked around a fair bit. Yeah. But mm-hmm. keeps kind of standing up and knocking himself back. And then you get the additional kind of skills of Moon Knight when Mark is in control. Yeah. Where you have his darts and you have his runs and his speed and his literally all of those additional accoutrements to the power set. Mm -hmm. So they build on it. It's all... It's not just like a, a power dump and everything in a short two minute fight. Yeah. It's all slowly introduced. So yeah. you do kind of get this. Oh, he's a proper, fully functioning superhero. Yeah. Like in that sense. Absolutely. Definitely. Yeah. I think what's really good though with the end of this is that, you know, Mark is the dominant identity here. And we, <sighs> like you were talking about, in the last episode, whether if we'd see it from the perspective of Mark, and here we see Stephen reflected uh, back uh, yep. having the conversation. I just thought the conversation between the two of them, or at least from Stephen, was was really good because mm-hmm. you know he goes, "You you are a parasite, and you've haunted my life," and um, and Mark is not letting this up um is not going to allow Stephen back in at mm-hmm. this moment and he says and Stephen just goes i won't give you a moment's peace like <laughs> it was proper payback yeah and yeah but I, I loved um him just saying you're a parasite yeah uh, it was yeah. really really good and we we have this um you know with mark the the, the servitude to conshu um, and Konshu saying his body belongs to me. Like, yeah. Konshu doesn't want Stephen uh, back well, in exactly. the frame in terms of, oh, no, the idiot's in control again. Yeah. So 
I thought this was a lovely scene that rounded off the fight that had yeah. really deep meaning um on the, these two effect or four identities well, that yeah. we have now <laughs> and that relationship with Konshu uh, as well as between each other yeah i i'm so curious to see how they deal with this parasite dominant identity discussion mm-hmm. throughout the, the throughout the history or the, the the length of this series kind of when is one in control on the other when is one more dominant how they flip and back and forth mm-hmm. how long has this been happening all those discussions are starting to now will bubble up over this kind of hopefully the course of the season yeah and you're there going yeah. i and i'm actually interested because that that anger that comes from Mark as he kicks at a screaming Stephen going, you're the parasite, and literally just kind of smashes the thing. You're like, oh, okay, there's anger here. There's yeah, hatred of of, of Stephen mm-hmm. and being fueled by Conchu, as you said, John, the idiot's in control. Yeah. So Stephen is the, the, the kind of... The Laurel to the, to the Hardy that is Mark Spector. He's like just the, the fool to <laughs> yeah. the man always scheming. And I think we've already seen a little bit of it here in, in the show, how they're going to handle it because Stephen does have traits that are really important and really useful. The episode ends with Mark going to Egypt. Mark's a mercenary and we've learned from his wife that he doesn't know anything about Egyptology. Yeah. Stephen does. Stephen knows a heck of a lot. So yeah. it's likely that the way that they will handle it with these different identities within the, this body is that they will start to use each other for tasks that require their special skills. Yeah. When you need someone violent to take out the bad guys, you call Mark. When you need someone to do the investigation, you call Stephen. You know that ki- that kind of way is what I'm hoping that they're going to do with the identities as the as the show goes. It on. would make so, sense to do yeah. it in that way. Is the complementary skill sets that these exactly. different identities bring uh, to Kodshu's fist yeah. of vengeance? Well, yeah. There, there's a fantastic book by an author called Brandon Sanderson who did The Wheel of Time which we also covered on TV Podcast Industries. Mm-hmm. He finished out those books. Um, but he also did this book called Legion about uh, D- uh, a detective with DID. Right. And each of his different identities um, essentially helps him solve crimes. Right. So, uh, and it's like one is a photographer, one is a chemical expert, one is blah, 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 blah. Right. All these different kind of, and that's how his cases go. And if this is where that goes, then yeah, like you said, it becomes Stephen's not useless anymore. Stephen is, as we see when they open that curtain, probably the man who knows most about the area that they're in of Egypt. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, so Legion not connected to the Marvel Comics Legion. A completely not connected story. at all. Just literally the name of the name of the book is Legion. Very good, very yeah. good. I think we talked about everything in the episode overall. Just one uh, moment at the end of this, we do see Arthur getting the scarab. Um, a homeless yes, man has picked it yes. up. It's fallen out of Stephen's pocket or Mark's pocket in in the fight. Um, Arthur takes it from him and kills the homeless man, yeah. telling him it's he can't come to their utopia effectively. So, um, so again, Arthur telling everybody he's created this utopia, but he's choosing who it is that goes yeah. there. His followers, the people that he chooses, this guy, even though he's the one that got the scarab beetle, um, 
not yeah. worthy of his uh, of his love, I suppose. Well, that's it. It's it's the haves and the haves nots, isn't it? I yeah. guess. Uh, yeah. In going to this utopia, I think the other thing as well is we hear that right at the end is that Mark and Konshu have this deal. You know where we're going, says Konshu, and mm-hmm. we have that lovely sort of ending to this episode. With well, Mark is finishing off a bottle of whiskey very early in the morning, but it opens up to that fa- fabulous vista of the pyramids at Giza. I was presuming that Mark was drinking that whiskey to keep himself awake throughout the night so Stephen didn't get control yeah, of the possibly. body again, right? Yeah. I, I would, that would I make would sense. guess that was the way... But uh, the way alcohol would... Although, alcohol certainly doesn't make me stay awake. Alcohol puts you to sleep. I have yeah, a feeling so that this might is the, be the wrong strategy. This is the shorthand, Mark. like, you know... Um, Wolverine stays awake for twenty days drinking whiskey. You know, it's it's, yeah. the, it's the shorthand for a mercenary or a, or a, a, a strong <laughs> a strong manly type that can drink a bottle of whiskey to keep him awake. We'd be drinking pots of coffee. <laughs> if to I keep drank us awake. whiskey for twenty days <laughs> to stay awake, I'd never wake You'd up. Never wake that up. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Um, I just noticed that we haven't mentioned one very important key detail from the episode. Oh, no. we've, we've mentioned the scarab over and over again. We'll just put this in notes, I guess, for the episode. We've mentioned the scarab over and over again, but never mentioned once what it actually does we do it we ha, it has been called out that the scarab points the way to amat's ushabti which is amat's resting place um this is why it's so important to arthur to find it arthur doesn't seem to have a direct connection with amat he's a follower of amat but in the same way that people follow deities all the time he's not ha- he doesn't have the same kind of connection that Mark and Stephen have with Konshu, it seems. He's trying to find her original resting place, and the only way he can do that is by getting the scarab and taking it to find her resting place. But I'm assuming that's because she's out of action yeah. from the normal circumstances in that of a relationship between a god and its avatar. Because her previous avatar yes. took her out, effectively, yeah. yeah. So, yeah. Like she's bound um, and contained by some kind of script or Potentially, yeah. tomb or, or something. Yeah, so uh, Scarab, massively important, but I just noticed we hadn't mentioned that it is the, it is the compass that points the way to her resting place or the place that we can find her. So uh, that's quite interesting. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Uh, any other notes uh, from the episode that you haven't talked about, guys? None from me, Bob. And if you want a really in-depth discussion from uh, the view of comic book, i.e. Moon Knight, the actual comic book character, I mm-hmm. do suggest checking out the podcast by our friends. I'm going to be plugging in quite a lot. Ray, for uh, Into the Night, the Moon Knight podcast. Yep. Um, definitely, I'm assuming they're going to have every inch and morsel digested and discussed um so and he'll 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 know he'll know every easter egg i'm assuming ray and rebecca are ripping apart every little morsel of uh of easter eggs on their podcast so uh, yeah yes, go check yes. it out yeah it's really good fun love hearing their thoughts especially as moon knight fans who've had a moon knight podcast now for four or five years been really really good yeah excellent stuff yeah so check out into the night um the moon knight podcast That's right. um but we need to defend, or otherwise, Moon Knight <laughs> Episode 2. Chris, do you defend this episode? Yeah, I really do. This was, this was fun. I, I thought there was a, there was a brief second where I was getting annoyed by Steven. Um, <gasps> but more and more, it, it, the foil he acts as the audience just helps so much. 
and I thought at the point it was almost going to be overplayed, but it's not. It 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 is that interesting, fun aspect. Stephen brings that comedic element to what could have just been a very by the numbers superhero battle, but it's not that. It's not by the numbers. They're they're kind of taking a play on the genre and adding different elements. They're adding in almost like that Egyptian national treasure, treasure hunt. They're adding in a horror film from like <laughs> the bit where they go to the um, the storage lockers. They're adding all these different aspects in. So really, yeah, I 100% defend. This is a really good episode. And you 100% defended, including referencing it to national treasure. Excellent. I love yes. it. I love National Treasure. It is so, a so, national yeah. treasure. So do I. Um, it's awful. There is one member <laughs> of TV Podcast Industries who's seen both National Treasure 1 and 2 and hated both of them. Um, cheap. I've seen both and loved both of them. Yes, so me too. Cheap Indiana Jones knockoffs like The Mummy. But this is not a cheap Indiana Jones knockoff of Moon Knight. I'm loving um, this episode. There's some great stylistic choices uh, in this episode. Love the conversation where we first met Layla, where the conversation is taking place in the motorbike mirror while Steven's behind her. Uh, mirrors being used throughout the episode so far yeah. to have conversations with different people it seems like Stephen can't have a conversation with a human uh, unless he's looking through a mirror so uh, so I like that little touch in there but I think they've again in this episode slowly drip fed more and more of the mythology that we're dealing with here in this show that's different as Chris mentioned earlier on it's different from the the Norse mythology and the Asgardian mythology that we've heard in the past in the Marvel Universe it is being delivered in a much more easily digestible fashion, I think, in in this episode. And I still think second episode in, it doesn't feel like this is only made for the fans. This is still, I think, bringing along people that would be new to watching this show that stars Oscar Isaac and Ethan Hawke. Let's check that out. Hey, it's on Disney Plus. Why not? You know. Yeah. So I'm hoping that it's bringing in brand new fans to getting to see this really inter- interesting character from the, from Marvel Comics. So I'm loving it. Really looking forward to episode three as well. How about yourself, Don? Do you defend this episode of Marvel's Moon Knight? I certainly do defend this episode of uh, Moon Knight. I also defend The Mummy, uh, as well as National Treasure, uh, the great movies. But anyway, moving on. Yes, I'll give this five lentil suits out of five. <laughs> lentil um, suits, I like Yeah, it. lentil suits. Uh, imagine <laughs> putting that together. Um, yeah, I this just continued on from the first episode for me. Um, it kind of, you know, it literally woke up straight from the first one mm. and went straight into um, Stephen sort of investigating, finding, finding, you know, what all this meant, why he didn't see that dog that was chasing him around on camera, the 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 storage locker, the little the little memory signifies with the scarab beetle. And him recognizing that the uh, quite a bit of um, explanation here, but it really worked in with the story about a bit more background of of Mark Specter and um, potentially Dark Mark Specter as well happening in in the background as well. So I just loved the the introduction of Mister Knight and, and the suit, and I loved that you know it. It was played for laughs and it kept the comedy and I loved that. But at the same time, there was just that with the, the battle, um, between the identities and all, or the, 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 the realization that, 
Stephen needed Mark to come on board and change to the suit, the Moon Knight suit, the traditional Moon Knight suit. Um, but having that lit, that, that switcheroo now that Mark had, um, the, the control mm-hmm. and seeing it from that side with Stephen, um, and his thoughts on, on what was happening. Um, I just thought it was really, really good, really clever. Arthur, you know, yes, he is a nutbag and a psychopath, but there's a lot of history there, which is really, really intriguing, mm-hmm. especially uh, finding out that he also used to be Conchu's avatar. You know, what happened there? Because they obviously don't like one another. Yep. Um, so, And Conchu let him live as well. Um, well, that is true. Which is interesting. So, yeah, it, that will be really good. So just loads and loads of layers yeah. of intrigue, of, you know, real good drama, comedy, sort of the, 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 the slap bang with the, the Mr. Knight. Um, mm-hmm. and yeah, this is five lentil suits. Out of five. Excellent. Ooh. Two five out of fives in a uh, row. Yes. Kick off the season. Very cool. With a job. chickpea on top. <laughs> I think to go along with your lentil suit, it's time to have a drink at the Bar With No Name for yes. our Bar With No Name quiz. We can have some lentil crisps. They're mm. a thing now. Ooh, they are. <laughs> and they're good. <laughs> I know. They are. They're quite tasty. Well, um, each episode we give out a question uh, on the episode that we've just talked about for Moon Knight. So we've had, gave out a question last week. Our question two is coming up. Uh, put together all the answers for the questions. Send us in an email to feedback at tvpodcastindustries.com and you could be in with a chance of getting some Moon Knight goodies at the end of the season. John, do you want to give us question two in our Bar With No Name Moon Knight pub quiz? Certainly. <laughs> uh, fellow quizzes, fellow defenders, question two. What? Number container does Steve Grant explore to find out about a person named Mark Spector? Ooh, container number. I like it. Just, I shall repeat that. What number container does Steve Grant explore to find out about a person named Mark Spector? Very good. Very good. As I said, answers in by email to feedback at tvpodcastindustries.com. Looking forward to hearing your answers. Yes. Right, gents. Let's get on to some feedback. On to feedback on episode one of Moon Knight. Everybody's seen episode one now, John. Excellent stuff. And lots of feedback on it as well, which is great stuff. We love hearing our fellow defenders' views, theories, mm-hmm. fan favorites, um, thoughts on the episode, you name it. Keep it rolling in, fellow defenders. It's great getting your feedback. Love it. Absolutely. Absolutely. Looking forward to hearing uh, the feedback from to our email address at feedback at tvpodcastindustries.com or on our Facebook group at facebook.com slash group slash tvpodcastindustries. We also have a voicemail in from Matt Murdoch breaking down the uh, theme for the episode as well. Great stuff. Uh, always look Excellent. forward to that too. And one quick note, uh, which we didn't record for last week. If you are waiting for our Morbius review, we all did go to see it in the cinema and we made the announcement of our Facebook group that we're not going to cover it on the podcast. Um, there's been lots of people throwing uh, their thoughts and, and their bad reviews at Morbius. What we tend to do on TV podcast industries is cover shows that we like and pick out the things that we enjoy about it. And really when myself and Chris and, and John had a chat after watching the movie, we couldn't really think of a way to approach covering the show that didn't sound like we were just hating on a movie that came out. So um, I think we'd all recommend you keep your money until uh, it's available on home viewing. 
Um, I think so. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Maybe until it's on regular cable TV in a couple of years' time, because there's no rush to go out and see it. Um, I think the thing is, it feels like superhero movies have evolved a mm-hmm. lot, um, and maybe this is of an older ilk, which, in some respects, for some people, that might be their thing. It might no- be, be no fine. bad thing, but yeah. I guess... Um, yeah, it, it it felt uh, a little shoehorned. Uh, I wish they'd given Morbius um, a bit more uh, airing, to be honest. Yeah, yeah, it kind of felt like most of the movie ended off on the cutting room floor because a lot of it didn't make any sense um, <laughs> as, as a movie itself. But anyway, that's all of our thoughts on the, that we're going to talk about on Morbius. Um, let us know if you want to let us know what your thoughts are. You can email us into those normal feedback places and let us know what you think. Let's pop into our feedback for Moon Knight episode one. Our first piece of feedback is an email from Coffee and Vodka who says, Greetings befuddled defenders. Writing this before listening to the podcast, it's been a while. The pod looks slightly different. Have you redecorated? Why, yes, we have. Yes, we have our, our new um, Moon Knight related logo for uh, for the podcast uh, as we usually <laughs> change it up. Uh Coffee and Vodka continues, it looks like not all identities of dissociative identity disorder are created equal. Stephen is an excellent guide and everyman entry point into what looks like a dense and immersive experience. And damn it, damn it, it's F. Murray Abram as Kanshu. Perfect icing on an already awesome Oscar Isaac and Ethan Hawke cake. Although the mention of the Armenian genocide does mean this is one series I won't be watching with my Turkish wife. The pacing was fast and fluid in the episode, though I suppose it has to be considering there's only six in the series. The acting effects and writing all seem to support the hype of this being the best thus far in the Marvel Disney staple of shows. Wonder if it's already been greenlit for a season two. I was surprised at the amount of blood and violence, even if the latter is skipped over, though probably shouldn't be with Cap decapitating someone with his shield and an animated exploding Hulk in shows past. Nonetheless, it bodes well for what Disney's willing to put on screen for the rest of the series, as well as maybe the upcoming Daredevil series. Five sticky scarabs, scuppers, cupcakes, glass slippers out of five. Peace and take care, coffee and vodka. Thanks, coffee and vodka. Yeah, excellent stuff, coffee and vodka. Um, loving your out of fives, as always. Mm-hmm. Um, it's interesting, yeah, if it's been greenlit for a season two. I think the interesting thing with Moon Knight, in terms of how it is titled, is... Marvel miniseries Moon Knight. Yeah, I think it's a limited series, yeah. So yeah. It, it, it's interesting to know whether they will. I mean, I really sure hope they do, mm. um, because after the first um, look at this, absolutely loving this show, and like yourself, I gave five out of five. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it'll be interesting to see if they do. Uh, certainly, if it keeps getting good reviews, mm. good comments, you never know what may happen with all that Disney dosh um, yeah. to to f- fling around. Uh, Oscar Isaac has, has said that he doesn't have the golden handcuffs, as he calls them, uh, for signing up to play Moon Knight for many years or anything like that. This is the only show that he is contracted to appear in uh, at the moment. So if he is going to appear in something, that could, of course, as always with Marvel, be some misdirection. He could appear in, uh, in Doctor Strange Multiverse of Madness the day after this final episode comes out. You know, you never know. Uh, but he says right now he's not shackled, shackled into any contract for any future series, but you never know. Well, it's certainly we know that he will be appearing at some point in the movies. Um, I think Kevin Feige has mentioned that all the the superheroes that are on the screen this year, mm-hmm. um, pretty much, uh, are going to appear in the wider 
uh, MCU yeah. side of things. So that's the, all yeah. very, very positive. Yeah. Um, being sort of flagged like that straight off the, the bat by old, um, Kevin. And just coming back to your uh, feedback, I'm totally with you. I think Stephen Grant, as he's construed, is a superb everyman entry point and guide yeah. for this show. I think it, it, it's, it's really, really smart, uh, what the, the showrunner and writer have done in doing it that way, which is different from the Stephen Grant of the comics, mm-hmm. um, which may have been a little bit more off-putting. I mean, it's not to say it wouldn't have been a good guide as well, but I, I think they made a really good choice for the medium and for getting Moon Knight to a wider audience as well. Yeah, yeah without a doubt. Thanks, Coffee and Vodka. Yeah, thanks, Coffee and Vodka. Also on email, we have some feedback from Suzanne Nelson. Suzanne says, I love this first episode of the series. I have no previous experience with Moon Knight in the comics, but loved this introduction, especially seeing it only from Steven's perspective during this episode until the very end. I also like that they didn't make us wait until the next episode to actually see him in his full Moon Knight persona. Mm -hmm. I also love the use of reflections throughout the show, Going back for a second viewing, I picked up many more than just the obvious mirror reflections like the puddles he steps in and the puddle in front of the mime on the bench as Stephen walks away, turning the whole perspective of the shot on its head. Mm-hmm. Looking forward to another fun ride with you guys. Enjoyed going back and listening to some of your older podcasts and re-watching Good Omens and starting Daredevil while waiting for this show to start, but always enjoy watching and listening along with you. Thanks so much, Suzanne. It's really, mm. really nice of you to say. Um, I'm really glad that you are enjoying us as uh, the accompanying piece and everyman guide, I guess, for um, <laughs> yes, for uh, Moon Knight, you know. Yeah. Suzanne continues, I just wanted to follow up my previous email to ask if you guys could say more about the Stephen of the comics. You mentioned in your podcast that the character is very different in the show compared to the character in the comics. Just made me curious as to the change they have made in the show. Mm -hmm. Who is Stephen talking to on the phone those couple of times when it sounded like he's speaking to his mom? If you listen to the second phone call again, I think he's leaving another message. The first time I heard it, I thought he was actually talking to someone. But if you listen again, he isn't leaving any time for someone to answer. I wondered if Mark, like buying another goldfish and resetting all the sleepwalking precautions, is sending postcards to his other persona, Stephen. Maybe Mark has set up a message machine and put the number in Stephen's phone under mum so that Stephen thinks he's leaving messages with his mum or auntie, but it's actually just another fake out by Mark to give Stephen some peace of mind. Suzanne. Yeah, thanks so much for the feedback, Suzanne. I'm really glad that you're loving this um this series. And yeah. certainly as a, a non Moon Knight fan, I think that's you know tick that is job done by by marvel for mm-hmm. sure and i i think you're right i miss those reflections in the puddle like you said yeah. um which you know adds just a completely different perspective on how you view that scene and just that pan back of, of the camera mm-hmm. seeing um mark in in the puddle yeah yeah it's, kind of, it's just really cool they're using all these all these tricks and stuff to disorientate you and and kind of question what's going on as well i think that's a a really good thing 
uh, that they're doing in uh, in the show itself overall. Um, as far as Stephen Grant to the comic books, he's, he's significantly different. Um, there's a, a connection that we don't really like talking about because it's such an old connection, which is that um, people tend to refer to this as the Batman kind of comic. And a lot of the reason why it's considered Batman is because you have a millionaire playboy or billionaire playboy, Stephen Grant, is the character. He's very competent. He's very uh, knowledgeable. He uses money on lots of gadgets and he has a mansion that he lives in for a while. Um, so the Stephen Grant character is significantly different than the one that we see in the TV show. The character of Stephen Grant is written in the show is so different because he is supposed to be written as the everyman who doesn't know what's going on. Whereas uh, Stephen Grant in the comic books, that identity is a bit of a playboy. Yeah, ab- absolutely. Um, and so I think it's a really more grounded way. And I think because um they're using the the comedy but quite mm-hmm. situational and it, it it's the comedy of Stephen Grant not really trying to be funny but is funny in the situation of what he's saying how he's saying it in the moments that i think just really grounds um the character and is something very different from Steve Grant of the comics as exactly. as Derek's mentioned exactly. uh, for sure and i think you know who is on the phone mm. i i really like your idea that this could be uh, the mark identity effectively keeping tabs yeah. on um his other identity by having this contact number to to who's who steven thinks is his mother when in fact he never gets through to his mother and is yeah. always leaving messages. Just the um, idea that, that when yeah. Mark takes over the body when his altar comes comes to the front and takes over the body, he goes and checks the voicemail to see what Stephen's been saying to the person he's saying is his mom. You know, he could be going, oh, I'm having these weird dreams or this guy Mark is, is doing such and such a thing. And then Mark gets an insight into Stephen's personality. It's a great idea. Exactly. I mean, certainly because Konshu thinks that Stephen is the idiot and mm-hmm. if that's permeated to Mark, then Mark may need to know exactly what the idiot has done. Exactly. Um, when it's Stephen's identity is dominant. Yes, exactly, exactly. Thanks so much for your emails, Suzanne. Uh, really good to hear from you. Really good to get all your thoughts there as well. I'm glad you're listening to uh, to Good Omens too. Uh, good Omens season two is going to be coming really soon, so we will be going back to uh, to Good Omens in future as well. I'm looking forward to that. Um, hopefully, you'll stay with us for the rest of the season. We have another email in from Jerry in Niceville who says, Hey guys, episode one of this show was fantastic. It was not your standard fare for a Marvel property. What makes it so great is the character building done by Oscar Isaac. His acting was superb and the physical comedy very unexpected. So is this Moon Knight magical in nature? The costume just appeared on him. Or is this in Mark's head, powered by Konshu? Stephen loses lots of time in this first episode because of Mark. Or is there another identity? The little girl in the museum? I think she was just in Stephen's head. That's the only reason she knew how to ask that question about the land of reeds. Can't wait for episode two. Your loyal defender, Jerry in Niceville. Lots of questions there, Jerry. Thanks so much for your feedback. Yeah, thank you so, so much, Jerry. Yeah. Is Moon Knight magical in nature? Well, it's it's kind of considered a superpower, um, the fact that he can transform into Moon Knight in the show. But what we were having a chat about it after we'd watched episode yeah. one, and there's a great moment where Ethan Hawke says to... Uh, Stephen, after he's kind of getting his reading on him, where he says there's chaos in you. And we were wondering if this is connected to chaos magic, which is something that was featured quite heavily in, in WandaVision. Exactly. It's the magic she uses. So I wonder, is it magic powered in the show? And it's really a tough one because because you're dealing with the ancient Egyptian gods mm. and you're thinking of 
that spirituality or the power of gods yeah. that they can do things by bringing them into creation mm -hmm. that power could ultimately seem magical and i mean it's too uh you know our first introduction to thor in the mcu where he talks about the 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 magic that mere mortals thought they had was just science and and technology exactly so it's a really tough one to to kind of um piece out mm. i think that i think in a sense yes it is magic yeah, yeah. um but it's coming possibly from a different source because yes. of the connection to ancient gods. Gotcha. Yeah. And so it has maybe just a slightly different nuance to it more than anything. But certainly, I think, for me, um, the idea of, you know, say, for example, the Midnight Suns, where you would have the likes of Ghost Rider mm -hmm. or Doctor Strange, Moon Knight, I think can um, can really put it in that magical wheelhouse mm. of the MCU yeah, or certainly a very close connection to it. And I think, um, I think it's also a bit like the discussion we just had on Suzanne's feedback around Stephen Grant, because he was quite gadget orientated mm -hmm. with the money. There's sometimes that, you know, there's different emphasis on it. And I think here they're not really going with the gadgets. They're going with the, the weapons of Moon Knight provided mm -hmm. by Konshu. And, you know, Konshu can change the weather. There's also an elemental nature here. And mm -hmm. um, he is the god of the moon. So all all the different powers that he can do around that. So yeah. I, I think it's really tough one. But, yeah, that comment of there's chaos in you, just wondering whether that's that route in yeah um, or whether it is just talking about something else or just the torment that's going on with his multiple identities exactly yeah of course of course um one final question there from uh jerry's uh email um asking since Stephen is losing so much time in the first episode is there another identity in there there are other identities in the comic books uh we can definitely say that there's more than two identities um I think the show probably wants you to think there's, that it's only Mark and Stephen in episode one. So yeah. I think we'll probably leave that uh, for for later. There's definitely other identities that they could bring into the show if they want to Certainly. take them up from the comics. That's, yeah. uh, that's what I'm going to say on that one. Yeah, no, absolutely. <laughs> I, I think that's wrapped it in a nice, neat little bow for all our fellow defenders. Yeah, thanks so much, Jerry. Uh, great to have you uh, sending in the feedback as always. We also got some uh, feedback over on our Facebook group from mm. Ronaldo from Into the Night, the Moon Knight podcast. Yes. Ronaldo says, this would have to be the one of the most anticipated moments for me for the small screen. Right up there with seeing my favorite footy team in the grand final. And I can hand on heart say this didn't disappoint. Excellent. There are instant departures from the comic book. Stephen Grant as... A gift shop retailer but that falls to the wayside in light of the captivating performance by oscar isaac and the luscious visual and sound production the fact that we only get a glimpse of the fully clad moon knight is worked well here to give us a fist pumping end to the first episode too it's such a fresh and different sort of mcu tv show too apart from it being set in europe it really feels like it is set apart from the rest of the mcu hmm. 
Ethan Hawke has a great introduction, and I just kept wondering the condition of his feet whenever he made it on screen. <laughs> the blackouts by Stephen were cool too, but it establishes that for now at least, Stephen is our avatar through this journey. And as we know, there are many more identities of the Moon Knight bag. There'll be plenty of fun times ahead. Great stuff, Ronaldo. I am so, so pleased mm -hmm. uh, that you're enjoying uh, this Moon Knight series. Um, it, it is both, I guess, one of your most anticipated moments and most anxious and nervous moments, so. waiting to see yeah. how they treated your superhero. So I was so pleased to to hear that. Absolutely. And in case any of our fellow defenders don't know about uh, Into the Night, the Moon Knight podcast, which uh, which is Ray's podcast, go over and check it out. Um, they've been also reviewing the episodes. He's done a number of episodes. I think a preview episode, spoiler-free, a reaction episode, and then an episode all with Moon Knight fans talking about the bits they liked and didn't like uh, about that first episode. Go check it out. Um, one of our my favorite podcasts. I'm one of our former co-hosts co occasionally as well, Ray. Uh, joined us for a couple of uh, a couple of episodes over the years as well so i am so delighted that that uh ray and the team over there at into the night have enjoyed uh the episodes so far yeah absolutely and i am totally with you i think oscar isaac here um and you know, yeah. a number of our fellow defenders have said this yeah um is really really fantastic in this role uh, and the performance and it only gets better and I think like like yourself, um, I know when Doctor Strange first came on, I liked that it, it moved the MCU uh universe. Mm -hmm. And I think here that's a that's the same feel here for Moon Knight for me as well. Like you say, it, it being sort of a, a show apart almost or <laughs> something fresh. Uh, I think it's it moving the MCU uh, along really mm -hmm. it, by adding these these new aspects, new um, layers of what superheroes can be. And I think um, it being set in Europe, I'm just wondering whether it ties in to the the Black Knight from the Eternals. Potentially, we have um, Captain Carter as well. We know so and um, so. There seems to be a, a little emphasis of moving it to Europe as well. Yeah, and we also um, had Falcon and the Winter Soldier, you know, which was traveling all around. That's uh, true Europe as well, too, yeah. You know, so, uh, so it I, might I keep... be setting up stuff, yeah. you know, that can sort of use Europe as the base, maybe. Yeah. I keep feeling as the episodes go on that there are more connections to the Marvel TV shows like Falcon and the Winter Soldier, Captain America and the Winter Soldier, that, yeah. that we're going to see play out Um connecting these series together as we go along as well uh, excellent stuff thanks so much ray for your thoughts really good to hear from it about your thoughts about the first episode of moon Knight. yeah thanks so much ray great to hear from you brandy gilly sanderson has some feedback also on facebook she says i really liked that we saw everything going on through steven's point of view the disorientation that he was feeling kind of helped bring the audience in especially as a non-comic book reader i felt like i'm discovering along with him and that would allow the character to ask questions the audience would want and need to know without having to have an exposition jump dump just in the middle of the show definitely another reason i like being in steven's point of view is that it saved Mark and Oscar Isaac's real voice until the very end of the episode. We got to kind of sit in his accent so long that I started to question myself about thinking he was American. But that could just be my American ears while you're all thinking it was passable or even horrible. <laughs> I have to say my favorite scene was Stephen in the steakhouse. I found myself feeling so hurt for him. As soon as he, as she mentioned the date, 
I knew he wouldn't show, but to set it up like this, heartbreaking. He had been so excited about it. I wonder who Stephen is really leaving the voicemails to. Is there just someone wondering why this strange man keeps leaving her long voicemails about his life? Uh, Deschamps is listed on Mark's uh, miscalled log. I know that's the last name of Mark's friend, Frenchie. Very good. Very well pulled out there, uh, Brandy. Uh, yeah, and you also have the same uh, point as, as Suzanne as well about uh, who's on the other end of that voicemail. Um, yeah, it's interesting, isn't it, about the accent as well. Um, didn't mind it at all when I watched the episode, and I've definitely been impersonating it for the last week too. <laughs> yeah, and I think, Brandy, you've really hit the nail on the head. You know, the 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 show, I think, has really done the exposition in such a clever way. And I, I think... Stephen is part of that clever way. Instead of an exposition dump sort of taking you out, that it you're just taken along with it because mm-hmm. it's part of the story. Uh, and I think that's really, really good. Uh, on the, the missed calls log, um, for sure, uh, Duchamp is um, the, the surname of uh, Frenchie. Frenchie. His, uh, I guess, right-hand man uh, yeah, to some extent. An occasional ally. Yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah, I, I, that's I, a better way of saying there it. There was a great comment on the on Into the Night, the Moon Knight podcast from one of the Moon Knight fans who was saying, Layla called him like 50, 60 times. Duchamp calls him once and then goes, meh, whatever. Right. <laughs> so, so I kind of like That's telling, that. exactly. That's kind of telling who he is. Yeah, yeah definitely. <laughs> and I think um, in terms of Stephen's accent, I have to say, you know, there was a lot of, Ferrari about you know was that the accent that he was going with during the trailer I really liked it and I, I yeah. think as you say you've been able to sort of sit with the accent yeah and of course it, it's um interesting that he references Carl Pilkington uh, as well um in one of his shows uh he he's connected with Ricky Gervais that on one of his shows an idiot abroad mm-hmm. and it, it is that great reference because Stephen isn't an idiot but his mannerisms kind of put him completely off kilter with I guess the whole rest of the world that is moving around him exactly uh, and you see that in in Donna's relationship with him uh, mm. at the gift shop yeah exactly exactly yeah thanks so much Brandy for your thoughts yeah thanks Brandy for the feedback uh, Dr. Bob Phillips says I really didn't know what to expect, but that was still a surprise. Hugely comic, deeply engaging, packed full of great lines and both expected and unexpected twists. This is quite the spectacle. So I'm just still wondering whether to read this as a dream, a dream within a dream. (laughs) The fact that the London accents are played at 125% intensity goes with that, or is this all reality and different dimensions? Can't wait for next week. I failed to mention the horror element of this. Fillet steak cooked well done. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed. Do you know, yeah. when when you put together the question for last week's um, pub quiz, for last week's uh, Moon Knight pub quiz, I don't think we expected that so many people would focus on that scene because it is a brilliantly played scene yeah. from Oscar Isaac but uh, everybody's skirting around the answer uh, in the feedback I'm glad nobody's called out the actual answer from that but it's such a really well done scene the way Stephen uh, or, or Oscar delivers those lines as Stephen Grant when he's uh, missed his date by two days are fantastic and yes the fact that the um, <laughs> <laughs> the waiter translates that into a well done steak uh, yeah certainly a fillet steak I would totally <laughs> 
uh, be in, in that horror element of getting a well-done fillet steak yeah. uh, as well. I think, you know, in terms of what's reality or reality within a reality, uh-huh. and, and I guess we've been so conditioned by all the other ones about multiverses yep. um, and and all this kind of thing. I, I think that... I think in some respects, at the moment, this is a reality from different perspectives yep. of the same person with their changing identities. Yeah. It's certainly that at the moment. Mm. But moving forward within the series, where will it go? Because there is the, you know, the linking in with the wider MCU and MCU on Disney Plus. How will that work? Mm-hmm. It is finishing very close to the start of Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness. Yeah. Is there going to be some kind of little, you know, segue into that or, or tee-up? You just don't know. Yeah. Plus, you know, there are uh, developments in the series as you move along where you just need to kind of maybe lie back and go with the, the raging <laughs> current of the I love river. it I love it well done John well done I love that uh, Dr. Bob's <laughs> indication that we might not be in reality is because all the London accents are playing at 125% <laughs> well, intensity um, difficult to do London accents I think do them do them justice I'm dreadful uh, and there me. are so many people that try the London accents so uh, so in fairness uh, that might not be an indication that we're in a dream that might just be uh, people's attempt at yeah. doing the accents I can only do the London bus one of, of London accents oh you say that but I've heard it I know. So I'm not going to do it. Okay, good man. Good yeah. man. Thanks so much, Dr. Bob. Uh, Salim McKinsley says, just finished watching the episode. This was my introduction to the character. Other than seeing him in trading cards and in video games, I know nothing about Moon Knight. This episode was a trip, and I am excited for episode two. The audience, me, seems just as confused as Stephen, so I'm anxiously waiting to see where they go from here. I can't wait to learn more and see what they have in store for us. I'm also very much enjoying this recent run of ancient and or mystic Marvel stories across TV and film. It's a credit to the studio for keeping things fresh in a post-Thanos world. Very good, Slim. Yeah, I, I totally agree with that. This this does feel like something really different for the yeah. world. Even um, some of the shows that we've seen so far have kind of taken their jumping off point from bits and movies or or other things. You know, what if, for example, retelling lots of the history of the MCU in different ways, whereas this in Moon Knight feels like something brand new. We're not getting a lead in from uh, from the other shows and movies, but there are still nods to things that have happened uh, in, in other shows so far as well, and maybe more as the season goes on. Yeah, great to hear from you, Salim. Uh, glad you're enjoying Moon Knight as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, Joe Stimel says... Yeah, I no longer have concerns about the show. If nothing else, Oscar Isaac is a treasure. Mm -hmm. A national treasure, some may say. (laughs) Uh, I do love that we seem to be sticking with one identity and not jumping to the others. A unique twist for me. As someone whose imagination can run wild, the lack of violence and only showing the aftermath is quite refreshing. I wonder if that living statue is Mr. Crawley. Mm. Indeed, uh, Joe, that is a good spot around the living statue, Mr. Crawley. It is. And because it is. Yes, yes. Yes. In in the credits, uh, it is confirmed that it's Crawley, uh, who is a character from the comic books. Um, Stephen's eyes on the street, almost, you'd say. Which is fantastic that it's a living statue. Yeah, yeah. I love the idea. Or a crusty Um, juggler, as uh, is is the local vernacular. (laughs) In Hot Fuzz, yes. Yes. (laughs) Exactly. Uh, Yeah, the showrunner, Jeremy Slater, 
later did confirm that that was his little nod to uh, to Crawley uh, in the comic from the comic book. So um, thank you so much, Joe. Really good to hear from you. Yeah, thanks, Joe. Alan Kingsley says, this show is not really my thing, but it's well made and I appreciate that they are going for something different for those who want that sort of thing. I actually found it interesting enough so that if it had just been a movie, I would have happily watched the rest of it. But knowing that there are five more episodes to come, that's just dragging it out too much for my taste. Interesting, Alan. Yeah, you know, I I would think with this kind of depth of story, I think what they're really able to focus on is uh, is exploring DID, exploring uh, Stephen Grant, exploring um, Mark Spector and Khonshu and all of Egyptian mythology. But yeah, I could I could see why this works better as a show for me than it would for a movie. I think they wouldn't be able to get as in-depth as I want them to get with uh, with a movie. But to each their own, I guess, as, as we always say. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, I, I think, as Alan said, you know, it is interesting and... You know, for some people, it's just not necessarily in their wheelhouse. Yeah, um, but certainly, he appreciates um, the the difference that is coming through from Marvel here. Yeah. So, um, hopefully, Alan, hopefully you stick with the the other five. Yeah. I, I've got my fingers crossed. Got my fingers crossed. But of course, if not your thing, not your thing. It does. It does kind of keeps the uh, pedal to the metal, as we uh, as we <laughs> yeah, said, really as we does. said before. Uh, Michael Booth says, opening scene: What the fire truck. Every following scene, what the fire truck. <laughs> I know nothing about Moon Knight other than what you guys have mentioned on the podcast, so I have no idea about what's going on or what's coming, and I love it. Oscar Isaac is selling the character hard, and his lost, bewildered Stephen, with a PH, <laughs> was heart-achingly sad at times, especially at the restaurant. The subtle horror elements built well, and the build-up of all the mirrors through the episode came out well at the end, showing his alternate identity. Finally, the voice of Konshu as a character was a hilarious touch. The stupid one is awake again. Brilliant. <laughs> uh, I love it, Michael. You wouldn't spell Stephen with a PH, though. Stephen grants with a V. And Mark is with a C. Yes, it is <laughs> all over the place, the spelling. Yeah. If, if there was a John Moon Knight... It would be J-O-N. I'm, I'm sure absolutely it would. convinced of it. I'm sure um, it would. And Michael, I will definitely be using What the Fire Truck um, f- to get past my editor-in-chief's <laughs> sensory-type nature to keep this a PG uh, podcast. There you go. Uh, great stuff. There I you. like it. Thanks so much, Michael. Yeah, thanks so much, Michael. We've also got some feedback from Angie Arhouse. Angie says, Honestly, I know nothing about the comic and had never heard of the character until you mentioned him on one of your podcasts, so I wasn't sure what to expect. Guys, I love this show so much. Oscar Isaac is lovable and wonderful in the role of Stephen. Ancient Egyptian lore is integral to the story, a subject I love. And it's worth watching for the soundtrack alone. I mean, when have you ever had a violent vehicle chase down a mountain scored with the peppy wham hit, Wake Me Up Before You Go Go? (laughs) The music was just great. My big question after the first episode is, will this be tied into the multiverse or will this be more of a standalone series? Thanks so much, Angie. I mean, I think for sure this is a standalone series Mm -hmm. uh, or mini-series. And I think it's really getting into the character that is Moon Knight, the identities of Stephen and Mark. Yeah. There's Konshu. As you say, 
the ancient Egyptian law, which is also a subject that I love. Um, I, I guess it's the holy trinity of um, the ancient world for me. It was Greek, Roman, and Egyptian. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was just like, I just like the girl in the, in the museum. Fascinated that they pulled out the innards through the nostrils <laughs> and, and, you know, all the, the Coptic jars and, and, and so on. So, um, yeah, really love that. So I think it's definitely, standalone um but we do know that he is going to be involved in the wider mcu I think. we hope so we, oh, hope, we so. hope so as we said though after that interview with oscar isaac where he says he's not signed up to anything at all in the future um we don't know we don't know how it's going to tie in they may just do this completely standalone and just do the little nods in the background like we mentioned um which weirdly feel very like the netflix marvel shows don't they yeah <laughs> that's you know, true those kind of nods in the background to things that are going on in the universe but not actually interacting with the universe because i feel like there's so much story to tell within moon Knight. they could easily just do this as a six episode show ah. standalone and then we might see oscar isaac back in at some point in the future absolutely i i think i'm just praying yeah. for it or should i say sort of doing ancient egyptian prayers to to try and uh, sort of will will moon knight into the wider mcu absolutely absolutely and and the music for the show Angie, you're totally right i love the uh the list of songs that they chose i put up a a yeah. um post up on Twitter, weirdly, of, of five of the songs that were chosen from the episode, all chosen because of their connection to dreaming and, um, and things going on in the scenes and things going on with the characters, really well chosen songs, all about, uh, all about dreaming. You know, the Engelbert Humperdinck song, for yeah. example, the opening song from the episode about every, every day I wake up, um, all alone and lonely. You know, that is Stephen's theme, really, for the, for the episode. So, yeah. uh, wake me up before you go, go again. Wake me up. Don't leave me on my own. Um, this is Stephen swapping identities back and forth between himself and Mark uh, throughout that scene. Really cool choices. Absolutely. And and to be honest, as a a lover of all things pop music, I think um, it really gave energy to that car chase (laughs) down the hill whilst also, you know, having meaning with the 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 words yeah. of the of the track so Absolutely. i uh, love that really, it's not just really used good. not just used as a throwaway pop song uh love george michael of course but uh, i love that it's not just used no, as exactly. a throwaway pop song. it's been used so many times in movies and, and tv shows and ads and stuff but uh, i love that they used a little deeper meaning to it uh, along with everything else yeah, that was in the I, show it, it's when they get kelly clarkson in there there will be a real sort of uh, test of the genius of the the music advisor and the composer mm, might be a test of my patience but thanks <laughs> so much angie uh prelim martha says i absolutely loved it i can't wait to see more i find the villain really intriguing and can't wait to, to find out more about him thanks prelim yeah thanks prelim donald dennis says i woke up at 5 a.m and decided i couldn't get back to sleep without watching this episode the first episode was very good and what i saw makes me think it will stay this good and maybe even get better. Episode one felt more like suspense than action because they kept hinting at amazing fights without showing them directly. That will likely change over the season as a prospective character figures out what is going on. The action beats we got were very engaging. I can't wait to see more of them actually happening. I love the way they really telegraphed that something big is going on and the stakes are both real and potentially large scale. We don't know how world-bending it will be in the end or how much is misrepresented due to our apparently unreliable perspective character. In all, a promising start. 
Also, I have to say, watching this while I was barely awake and still asleep befuddled really got me to sympathize with the main character's what the heck is going on vibe. (laughs) (laughs) I think that's the way you should watch all the episodes from now on, Donald. (laughs) <laughs> yes, definitely. Yeah, as you can see from episode two, you know, there's certainly a lot more action mm-hmm. here that that's that's being shown. So um, I think there's a lot more uh, in this relationship between the identities of, yeah. of Stephen and Mark as well mm-hmm. as with Konshu. Yeah, so really good stuff. Uh, thanks, Donald. Uh, Victor Von Doom says, Marvel sure knows how to reel in an audience. The Alpine chase was a hoot. I love the granny driving the chicken coop, giving Stephen the finger. <laughs> I see a lot of disparities from the comics, but I understand things had to be rearranged for TV. Looking forward to the podcast and the Defenders feedback. Excelsior. Thanks, Victor. Yeah, thank you so much, Victor. Yeah, definitely changes here uh, to the comics, mm-hmm. but I, I think they work well here. Uh, and certainly... As you say, there is a necessity in rearranging stuff for TV, and they are ultimately different mediums, as yeah. we, we've said, and sometimes some things uh, need to be rearranged. I also do think um, with Marvel, they are wanting to build something. They, you know, it, it needs to also be accessible. Absolutely. And I think I've said before about the character of, of Moon Knight, uh, similar to Nick Fury, that lots of writers jump on board give their take on it, and it doesn't all hang together from start to finish, from 1975 until today. (laughs) You know, there are things that were changed by different writers coming on board, so I can kind of see this is a a version that's trying to ground it and trying to bring on uh, people who've never heard of the character before, and it seems to be doing that from the feedback we're getting there as well. Um, Thanks so much, Victor. Heather Wallace says, I get that Stephen's knowledge of the Ennead is meant to show that he knows his ancient Egyptian history, but come on, marketing made a mistake. (laughs) Nate, do you know how many people would have signed off on that design before it went to print? But sure, blame marketing. You're going to fit right in at the museum. Just throw the hardworking marketing team under the bus whenever it suits you. Don't worry that some of them might even have a classics degree. They're just marketing. What would they know? I might have taken that a little personally, (laughs) says Heather. I totally understand, Heather. You know, I was wondering about that question. Um, it does seem really unusual that at a museum they would put up a big poster and miss two gods off it. I wonder, is there more of a reason behind that? I wonder, is it that those two gods aren't known in this world because they've been removed from history in some way? Yeah, possibly. Yeah, possibly. You know, we've heard that Amit was betrayed and locked up by her um, avatar in the past. And, you know, we, we have seen definitely in these two episodes, we've seen that um, Khonshu has also been betrayed by an avatar. Maybe that has taken them out of this world um, and the, the memories of, of people in this world. And that's why they don't appear in the poster. Maybe those are the two missing gods from the poster. What do you think? Yeah, it it's, could be. So no marketing mistake, Heather. It's a mistake in Stephen's mind. He remembers them, but nobody else does because they've been removed from history. How about that? Yes. And and I think also, (laughs) in the end, Donna really didn't care. Donna didn't care at all. She just (laughs) thought he was... uh, Don't take it personally. Looking for a job. Donna was like, no, don't care. It's the poster. Absolutely. Um, Thanks, All Marcuses are great. (laughs) Thanks, John. (laughs) Thanks so much, Heather. And finally, Claire Laffer says... That creature chasing Stephen in the museum, was that Mephisto, right? (laughs) I will never get tired of Mephisto jokes. 
I hope he never joins the MCU just so he can keep making them. Uh, excellent stuff, Claire. Indeed, there have been Mephisto That's jokes right. as well. Yes. Um, uh, with Gus, old Gus the Gus. fish. Yeah. yeah. Gus the... Uh, the, um, the the fiery orange fish. One thinned fish could be the the devil from the fish world. Yes, Mephisto. I think that was my, <laughs> my favorite one that I saw. Do you know, I do wonder if the all the ideas of is this Mephisto have been replaced with is this part of the multiverse or not since Spider-Man um, No Way Home came out that everybody's wondering whether yeah. there will be a connection to the multiverse within Moon Knight. And I wonder if the speculation that, that we're getting is, uh, is connected to that. What do you think? Yeah, maybe. And of course, with Doctor Strange coming out. Uh, excellent stuff. Thanks everybody for your feedback on episode one. Hope to hear lots more feedback on episode two. Uh, we will leave you with Matt Murdock's thoughts on the theme for Moon Knight from Hashem Nazi, the uh, composer for this season of Moon Knight. Take it away, Matt. This is really good job. Have a listen. I will. Thank you. Hello, Derek, John, and Chris. And hello to all the listeners as well. Matt here. I have never heard of Hasham Nazi. I don't even know if I'm pronouncing the guy's name right. And so if I'm not, I apologize in advance. But what a wonderful composition at the end of the first episode of Moon Knight, which I am totally digging. I thought I would be disappointed in this series, much like I thought I'd be disappointed in WandaVision, uh, the absolute opposite is the case in both of those cases, actually. But this theme is one of the best MCU themes that I've heard come down the pike in a while. I really adore this theme. It has so many great elements in it that add excitement. It's syncopated in its rhythm meaning that some of the beats fall a little weird or the melody comes in a weir- in a weird place. And you love that. I love when music is exciting like that, unexpected. The timbres are fantastic. The chorus, the percussion, everything about it is just amazing. But of course, the big thing that I glammed onto was the harmony. The harmony employs what we call the flat five. And I've talked to you guys about the flat five before, but mostly when it's used with minor chords and it's used with the minor chord in this one as well, but it's also used in major harmony as well, which I can think of several tunes that have done that. And what this does is when the flat five is used in major, we typically call it more like the sharp four because the five is present. And all of these numbers, I know, I'm boring you. So all I'm saying is is that there's one particular note that doesn't really fit with the rest of it. And if I play just the first part, it's the notes that are at the end of the phrase, like this. Now, I know that the bottom note is this. But for the most part, the actual place where the harmony is centered around is this. And that first part is minor. It's very serious, right? With the triplet rhythm and the hard emphasis on certain beats. But as I've talked about before, when you apply that flat fifth to a minor chord, you get a diminished chord that sounds like this. Typically, for humans, a diminished chord is very, very uncomfortable. 
if you take that same note, like they did with the melody after that little introduction, and place it in major harmony, you get something totally different. You get this feeling of unnatural, bigger than what we're used to, powerful, but not necessarily in a scary way, almost more in a heroic way. And that's what happens when the melody kicks in in the brass like this. And going to it at the end in the bass, as well as it being in the melody, gives it that off-kilterness. But for me, all I could think of was other things that are bigger than you think they are, and how they've been represented in film music before. I can think back to a little alien in a Steven Spielberg film that could do some amazing things. And the theme that I always associate with that little guy is this. That's from E.T., the extraterrestrial, and it has Lydian in it, just like the melody from Moon Knight. This part of the line right here creates the same harmony that we have in Moon Knight. And it may be no secret that John Williams was the one who composed this other piece as well. When you think about something being so powerful beyond what you expect, think of a little green guy that lifted an X-wing out of a swamp just using the force. That's right. Yoda's theme uses that same kind of Lydian that Moon Knight does as well. It's something that tells us this is not natural, but it's not necessarily bad. Anyway, really enjoyed the episode. Enjoyed your guys' first podcast on it. Take care. Thanks so much, Matt, for that. See, John, I didn't lie. Wasn't that really good? Yeah, superb. Great huh. stuff, uh, Matt. Um, thanks so much. And I was just thinking, ah, syncopation, my friend. Mm-hmm. Yes, uh, huge times we have spent um, looking at Radiohead syncopation mm-hmm. um, and just how it, it is really difficult to to sort of do um, in, in terms of that offbeat yeah. uh, side of things. Uh, the the flat five uh, being used both in minor and major, mm-hmm. really good. And I think yeah, those examples, the ET uh, one. Um, I just really, really enjoy that yeah. theme tune. Yeah. Um, it's so, so good, and it and it is that it it doesn't make it scary, exactly, or evil or bad. It's the opposite, as you say. So I think um, it, it, it's that was great stuff. Really enjoys hearing your thoughts and the old uh, the the old ivories as absolutely. well. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thanks so much Matt as always. Great to hear from you about that and great to hear from everybody else on uh, their feedback on Moon Knight. Absolutely. So Thanks so much everyone for your feedback and thoughts. Absolutely great stuff. Loved uh, chatting uh, with you on that. Yeah. Absolutely. Back to us for the rest of the closeout of the podcast. How about that? Bye. <laughs> Thank you so much, everyone who wrote in uh, for the feedback and also kind of talked to us over at 
facebook.com slash group slash TV podcast industries. Don't forget, you can support us on Patreon. This episode, as a reminder, was brought to you by our supporters on Patreon, including Roberta R. Thank you, Roberta. Uh, if you want to, you can head on over to buymeacoffee.com slash TVPI to buy us coffee to help with the editing, or head on over to Patreon and also be in with a chance to have your name read out as a supporter, because all these episodes are brought to you by Patreon.com. Yes, and of course, you can subscribe and share the podcast as well. Sharing the podcast is, of course, sharing the love. Absolutely. And any support that you provide is very very much appreciated fellow defenders absolutely thanks so much for joining us we're back next time with episode three of moon Knight. yes and of course we are also covering star trek picard mm-hmm. at the moment so we will be back later in the week as well for star trek picard absolutely that's on our main feed on tv podcast industries and also on our star trek picard feed if you're just subscribed to our Defenders podcast feed, uh, make sure you pick up the TV Podcast Industries feed to get everything that we're covering. You can do that over on our website at tvpodcastindustry.com. Thanks so much. We'll talk to you again next time. Yeah, thank you so much, fellow Defenders, for joining us for the discussion. As always, it is a pleasure chatting with you. Remember, keep watching, keep listening, keep defending, and laters, gators. Bye. Bye. Bye.